Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. The Tower of Orthanc in our remote studio high above Mount Doom and the land of Mordor. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. Um, we're glad everybody showed up. <laughs> and let me introduce to you the gentleman on top of the Misty Mountains up there in Arkansas, that would be Russ, K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Hello, everybody, and good mushroom to the folks that are listening on the live stream and are hanging out with us in the chat room. And for those of us who are listening after the fact, this is Russ, K5TUX, live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas, the very comfortable, very soft, luxurious peaks this evening uh after a very brutal summer it's been a very nice early not quite fall how's it going for you down there uh, as we start this episode number 91 of linux in the ham shack oh well it's second spring down here in texas yes second spring we don't have a fall down here we just have spring twice a year uh all the things are blooming and the bugs are buzzing and the allergies are kicking, and yes, welcome to my own personal hell. On the lighter side, uh, the wife and the uh, daughter-in-law went out looking for some uh, junior high kids to kill earlier this evening, and all my children are brain damaged. So that pretty much covers it. I'm losing, losing sleep over quite a bit of this, but that's okay because now we're here. Russ and I are here with our people you are our people uh some of you are more our people than others but for the most part it's pretty level pretty a pretty level playing field uh sometimes we have more people sometimes we have less people and once in a great while when richard really goes off the deep end we have no people so now that we've situated and straightened out and and discussed the people situation what do we do next I don't know. You tell me. Oh, well, they're sending some cool air down here to us. We ain't had none of that in months. Yeah, we we've went got... for a long time with hot, hot, hotness. Yeah, it was Quite. the same up here. And like I said in the little in the intro there, it's been very, very cool today. I think it's been like 70, which is, I don't know. I think it's like 10 degrees below the average for this time of year, which I'm going to take. 
Well, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's 75 degrees Fahrenheit in Forney, Texas right now. And I, th- I think my thermometer is broke. No, it's probably working just fine. I had to take a Sharpie and mark the line so it would get down to 75. <laughs> they don't even sell a, a thermometer in Texas that reads less than 80 degrees. Seriously. Well, the the great big glass ones that I don't know. I've never actually looked at one. Did you hit, this, did you hit your head on the a, way to the microphone? Excuse me? Did you hit your head on the way to the microphone? No. Why? I don't know. You seem to be a little off. No, that's the smell of the thermometers. Oh, I see. Yeah. You guys in the chat room, y'all, y'all know about the glass thermometer, don't you? I know y'all do. Babysitter come at you with them in, on the coldest day of the year. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Okay. About enough of that, I guess. So welcome to the show. We're going to try and get on to business. Uh, Rich is all stuffy and Russ is all stuffy and we're, we're going to do the best we can. So why don't we just jump into some, like some real stuff? Maybe yeah. what's wrong with the website certificate? <laughs> well, this, this is only going to be of interest to those folks who have, uh, paid to be a subscriber to our show via the website where you sign up and you either pay $2 a month or $20 a year, whichever one you choose. And you get access to content that other people don't get access to and different feeds that other people don't get access to. As we've said before, the show is always going to be free and it's, you know, normal format. It's edited format with the music and all that good stuff. But if you want to hear the before and after and you want to have access to, uh, alternative versions of the show and, uh, get a little insight into, you know, the etherpad and the things we're going to talk about and all that kind of good stuff, you can sign up and, uh, help us out a little bit by becoming a subscriber. So if they're not a subscriber, they don't get the parts where Richard acts badly. That's correct. Hmm. And see, that's worth $2 a month right there. I don't know. Well, I think I've been, so. I've been known to act badly for free. Well, if you do, just make sure you do it away from the Linux and the Hamshack website. Uh-huh. Okay. Anyway. So what, so what you're telling me is this first bit, they ain't the, they ain't going to hear anyway. Cause if they're not subscribed, they ain't going to hear it. And if they already subscribed, they don't need to hear it. Oh no. This is, this will be heard by everybody. So. Okay. Basically what it was, was, um, the, the certificate that I had, because when you log into the website, all of that stuff is secure. So you don't give out your password and all that kind of thing that certificate had expired. So people might've been getting warnings and all kinds of, you know, danger, Will Robinson kind of things when they went to the website, but I fixed that. And so that should no longer be happening. I see. Yes. Let me address a question in the chat room. Yes, they do. If you don't sterilize them. All right. So, uh, we would like to welcome new subscribers, Michael S again. I'm not sure why, but Michael C and Bill A. Speaking of our bill, our bill is missing, and I'm going to admonish him right now in the podcast because I'm, I'm, we're going to have to cut his pay or get rid of his health care plan or something. And my screen just went naked. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, while, there you, we go. while you're trying to it, figure out how to put a bikini on your screen, let me just say that the reason that Michael S. is listed as a subscriber again is because he is now in his second year as a subscriber to the show. So he is our longest running subscriber so far. 
Holy mackerel. Have we been doing that for a year? Uh, more than a year. I guess that's what I get for not reading the memos. <laughs> Speaking of memos, that kind of moves on to our little thing about, uh, the mailing list, the mailing list. Yes. We do have a mailing list. The link for that mailing list will be in the show notes and it's already been in the show notes several times. And there's actually a link to it on the front page of the website now. So it's a little easier to find than it used to be. You need to go over there. If you're a listener of the show and you're hearing my voice right now and sign up for the mailing list, we will not email bomb you with a bunch of stuff, but it is a way that we can get in touch with you, let you know when shows are going to air, when we or ambassadors are going to be at events, stuff like that. And you can actually get this stuff delivered to your inbox rather than having to come to the website all the time. So I would highly recommend that if you have an email address and you're a listener of this show, that you go to the lhspodcast.info website, click on the link for the mailing list, and sign up if you haven't done so already. Yes, sign up for the mailing list. Dang it. Yeah, and Bill's not here. This, I mean, I know you've already pointed that out, but this is ridiculous. Where the hell are you, Bill? I'm, I'm telling you we need to, like, we need to sign him and take him off the good health plan, put him on HMO or something. Yeah, he's, something. he's what, up there somewhere between Chicago and Milwaukee? So if anybody up there knows where Bill is, go smack him around, wake him up, tell him he needs to get in the chat room and be a part go, of the show. Go to whatever bar he hangs out in and knock the stool out from under him. <laughs> or knock the stool out of him. <laughs> I didn't knock I, something. I was trying to stop you from going there, but I guess I didn't get there in time. Hit him with a pool cue. <laughs> something. <laughs> That's hey, right. Ball, wake up. Pow. I don't know. We didn't. Oh. We didn't skip a week that I didn't that I forgot about or anything, did we? No, we almost skipped a week last week because I was testing the testing the uh, limits of human flight. No, that was two weeks ago. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The limits of human flight. Yes. I have not discovered anti-gravity yet, but I'm working on it. Okay. Now, the last time I checked, and it looks like he's gone. He snuck out while I wasn't paying attention. Who, Peter? Uh, no, Scott. Scott. Yeah, Scott, N8VSI. Our friend Scott, Scott who's a listener of the show and a very good friend, is... You probably need to quit cut what I just said out in the Finnish version because it's a bad word in Greek. Oh, that's okay. If you swear in a language I don't understand, it's going to stay in. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Uh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be stuttering. I'll be studying Mandarin in the morning. <laughs> Oh uh, boy. Anyway, uh, Scott and aid VSI is going to be our ambassador at Ohio Linux fest at the end of this month. So yeah, there, yeah. So if you get a chance to go out to Ohio Linux fest, which is what September 28th ish, something like that, or whatever he Russ said. Yeah. Anyway, go to uh, www.ohiolinux.org. You'll find all the information there and we will have a presence out there at OLF. Uh, a booth manned by Scott in AVSI. So, uh, thanks, Scott. I was gonna, I was gonna thank him there in the chat room, but he's gone. He decided to leave on us. I'm sure he'll he's hear fired. this later. That's right. He, well, no, he's not fired because I, I can't make it out to OLF this year. So, anyway, okay, he's fired after OLF. OLF. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to make sure this comes out after that or something. I don't know. OLF. Yeah. Anyway, go to Ohio Linux Fest. 
You sure it's not in Minnesota? Um, what? O L F. Olaf. 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 Oh no, that's Saint Olaf. That's in that's uh, in Minnesota. Yeah, that's where Betty White's from. And we could go way off sideways on Jesse Ventura because he was on the View the other day, and but we ain't going there. Probably the best governor ever. Anyway, uh, do you have any? <laughs> Do you have any uh, things to add to uh, our rambling first segment, or do we? No, want... it's going to be one of them. I, I can tell you right now, but you better stick that affiliate thing in there because, uh, like, I, that I, that's a subject close to my heart because I've used that successfully in the past. Okay, well, let me just go ahead and mention since we're sitting here, you know, trying to get money out of people again, we're trying to squeeze them as much as we possibly can, and uh, being stupid while we do it. That's right. Uh, it's very Keystone Cops here in segment one. I have uh, signed up for the Namecheap.com affiliate program. This is a an alternative to GoDaddy. It's a registrar. They also do hosting, sell uh, cheap SSL certificates, and all that kind of stuff. Things things that like Media Temple and HostGator and and other places do. And this is the place that uh, I use for all of my domains and for my hosting since I have gotten away from GoDaddy.com because they're evil so far namecheap has proven themselves to not be evil of course this could change any time in the near future we don't know but for the moment they are a wonderful company who sells domains cheap who has cheap hosting and all that kind of good stuff and there's a banner on the website our website and uh you know you can go there and you can click on that and if you have any particular hosting or domain registration needs if you click on that through our website we of course get a piece of that now, Richard has done this in the past using Amazon and some other places. Uh, were you going to flesh that out for me? No, I'm trying to figure out where it is. I don't see it. Oh, it, go, it ahead, come, go it, ahead. Yeah, it comes up randomly on the website. You won't see it every time. But if you happen to click on it, you know, when it comes up, feel free to uh, use it. And we, of course, get a kickback from Namecheap anytime you register. Now, I'm probably going to go ahead and put the AdSense stuff from Google back on the website at some point. And I would like to encourage people that don't have the ability and the wherewithal to actually send us a donation to, you know, if you come to our website and you see one of those links or an affiliate link on, on the header or whatever, all you have to do is click on those links and we get a little bit of a kickback and it doesn't come out of your pocket. It comes out of the, whoever the sponsor is of the, of the advertisement. So if you don't have enough money to send us a buck or two or whatever, um, just if you happen to go to the website, click on one or two of those, you know, affiliated links or one of the AdSense keywords, and that makes us money. And you can say you donated to the program and it didn't, it didn't cost you a dime out of your pocket. So, uh, please do that if you get a chance. I don't know of any other way I can keep beating that into the ground. So I'm but, just saying we probably need to kick you black spire guys off of here. Cause I don't think they paid their bill in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could probably cut down the, uh, the number of times that one shows up, but they, these guys, they, I don't know. I don't know. They keep showing up a lot. Yeah. No, no, not really. It's just they ain't paid the freaking bill. Well, I'll see what I can do about that. You need to complain to somebody. That All right, we're boring people. To, that mess belongs to somebody. That Yeah, that's right. Well, we're boring people to death here. We should probably uh, get some music going and then come back with some actual content because I actually found some in the last, you know, half an hour. So uh, what do you think about that? 
Okay, I had some too, but we'll figure it out. You go. Oh, go ahead and go ahead and just make it quick. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the pink stuff. Go ahead and play the music. All right. Well, I'm going to play a little bit of music here. Then we'll come back on the other side and we got some actual stuff that's not like, you know, asking for money and all that kind of good thing. Anyway, this is money. (laughs) Send money. This is a song called A Little Time by a group named Not From Georgia. And I don't know if that means they just really don't like Georgia or what. But anyway, it's a pretty good song. So we'll be back in uh, four minutes or so, give or take, and we'll talk about some stuff. Catch you in a minute. Take a little time, close your eyes, don't despair. May take a little while, lose the past, breathe new air. You walked a different road for better times. Was there ever really more at the end of the line? Open up your eyes, look around your It's gonna take a while Realize You're home with friends You ran to catch a dream Chase your rainbow's end When you grabbed a hold It slipped right from your Take a little time, take a little time 
take a little time Take a little time, take a little time Take a little time Take a little time, take a little time Take a little time Ching Kaching a ching Ching a ching a ching LHS podcast. Take a little time. Ching a ching. Welcome back. We're back. Yes, we're back. Yes. We're back. We got all right. We got some stuff. Want to talk about some stuff? What kind of stuff you got? I don't know. I got my first thing that I put in the ether pad because I'm well, curious about what you got to say about this. Okay, put it on me. All right, here I go. I'm gonna lay it on you. Give me your hand. Right I'm gonna me. give you some skin. Uh, or something. All right. Anyway, this is um, this is a debate that I've heard over the years since I've been an amateur radio operator, and it's about if you're in the high frequency bands, 1.8 megahertz up to about 30 megahertz. We're talking about you know 160 meters up to uh, 10 meters, not counting six meters and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but basically, what you know, what we all widely regard as the HF bands. Um, there's been a debate or I don't know if it is a debate, but it's been raging in, in my mind anyway, what, what the better idea is, whether to have a vertical antenna or to have a horizontal antenna. Now, the one thing that I've heard most of all is that it doesn't really matter because once you, once you get into atmospheric propagation and signals that bounce off the atmosphere, then the polarization of those signals just tends to get jumbled when they go from one point to another point so the polarization of your antenna tends to not matter so much but i've seen a lot of stuff in magazines which seems to indicate that for hf operation you're better off with a vertical antenna than a horizontal antenna and as a user of a a horizontal or in in my particular case an inverted v i'm just kind of wondering if that's really the way to go or if i should invest in some sort of a multiband vertical so Richard, being the guru of all things amateur radio, is going to enlighten us about the difference between vertical and horizontal for HF. Boy, that was like listening to a junior high school kid. You need to be careful because Brenda's looking to kill some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Did I really sound talking, that amateur? I'm, I'm talking about the timing and meter, okay? I'm not no. Okay. The the whole the whole thing look. It's kind of like this. We can go way nuts or we can go simple. Well, start simple. The, and then if we have to go nuts, we have to go nuts. The simplest explanation is that most people use horizontal antennas because that is the best way that they have to support the antenna. When you start talking about uh, vertical antennas, uh, quarter wave vertical antennas at 160 meters, that's a huge, and well, it's not huge, but it's a long antenna and extremely heavy. Whereas a piece of wire for uh, that particular size antenna, a half-wave dipole, it's easier to get enough structures up to put it in that air, and it really doesn't weigh as much. That's the simplest thing. Because of the size, the actual physical size of antennas, the lower you go in the bands, 
that's one of the reasons that more people use horizontal antennas. Now, the other side of it is that if you are a DXer, vertical antennas provide a lower launch angle for the signal. They have a lower lobe, main lobe, coming off of the antenna, which changes the angle at which they enter the ionosphere, which in a lot of cases will extend the signal further out. Now, as far as which is best, well, it kind of depends. See, you're talking about signals losing polarization in the ionosphere, and that does happen. Oh, my God, I got something right about radio wave propagation? Well, I know you had to take at least some of the tests. (laughs) You know, and, and the whole point is that this whole 20 dB of attenuation between vertical and horizontal goes away. When you start talking about skyway propagation and you don't just have regular ionospheric D F layer propagation, you've got other things to take into account. Rural propagation, uh, backscatter, uh, reflectivity off of objects in the air, whether they're meteorites, airplanes, whatever. It's time for Richard's story time. Come think of it. A good example, and this was on VHF. A good example is that. Back in the days, way back in the last century, when Richard was a security guard, which was about the time I got licensed, a friend of mine and I worked at places that were equal distance from one of the local airports. And one night, we decided to try and talk to each other simplex on our handhelds. We were only probably, I don't know, eight, ten miles apart. And we were using some really good 5-watt handhelds. Uh, best handheld I ever owned was one I'm talking about now. And we figured out after talking for a while, trying to contact each other, that as the planes were coming in at the airport that was halfway in between us, that the signals were going up and then going down and going up and going down. So we were getting reflectivity off of the bodies of these airplanes, off of these aluminum airplanes. Well, you get the same kind of thing going on with other signals, lower signals too. But as far as trying to get back to the subject of vertical and horizontal, that whole 20 dB attenuation thing, you can throw that out the window with HF. Because you can be talking to a guy that's on a vertical and you're running a horizontal antenna and he is the strongest signal on the band to you. And the person right next door to you can be trying to talk to the same guy. And on his horizontal antenna, he won't even be able to hear him. Now, difference is the screw up in the orientation of the polarization of the wave. I've lost my place. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I do that all the time. Anyway, you're going to hear a lot of guys, and it depends the the discussions that you're going to hear, you, the arguments you're going to hear for this antenna versus that antenna. Chances are you're going to hear the guys preaching horizontal antennas be, that because that's what they use. You're going to hear the guys preaching vertical antennas because that's what they use. It's kind of like um, I know a bunch of guys that have gap antennas. Gap antennas are verticals. They're aluminum vertical antennas. Now, they're short because, once again, we start getting into that size thing. So there has to be tricks to make that antenna resonant. 
Now, it is not beyond the bounds of reason to build a 20-meter vertical antenna out of copper um, plumbing pipe and getting it up in the air and it being sturdy enough and being able to uh, stabilize the top of it where you have a full quarter-wave antenna in your backyard working HF. But when you get down to 160 meters, a half-wave dipole at 160 meters is 260 feet long. 260 feet long. That's 40 feet short of a, a football field. Now, people say that, and a lot of people have never actually seen a full-size football field. But that's the whole point. 260, meter, 260 feet is how long that dipole is going to be. Half of that's going to be 130 feet. Most amateur radio operators don't even have a tower that high. So it's kind of difficult to get them that far up in there. Thank goodness when you're talking about antennas that size, you can hang those lower and you do get some uh, advantage when they're lower for those bands in the area of closer in communication, which is one of the things as far as emergency communicators we've been looking at over the last few years. A good example is at uh, my home in Bald Springs when I lived there, I had a G5 RV on top of a 20-foot mast. Now, G5 RV, I believe, is about 105 feet long. And then it's got like, I think it's a 35-foot matching section, which also becomes a radiator at lower frequencies, uh, 300, 450 ohms, something like that. Anyway, 20 feet. And it just so happened... At 20 feet, no, it was up at 30 feet. At 30 feet, it was the right height from the ground to force the takeoff angle of the main lobe up high enough that any time of the day or night, seven days a week, I could contact the EOC in Austin, Texas, however many miles away it is, four, five, six hundred miles. Now, it ain't that far without any problem at all and have them with a 20 over signal and them have me with a 20 over signal. And in fact, that same antenna on higher frequencies, because the distance off of the ground relative to the frequencies, I worked on that same antenna, New Caledonia, New Zealand, that kind of stuff on 20 meter PSK. I've got the cards around here somewhere. In fact, my New Caledonia card, the ink got wet and ran. I'm mad about it. Well, in the chat room, just to make this more difficult for you, KE5WMA has made a couple of comments. The first being that verticals are good for limited space, which I can see because if you have a small, if you don't have a yard and you have to put up an antenna, then, I mean, certainly a vertical will give you the easiest way to mount an antenna because it takes up very little, you know, space horizontally. And then he also says that if you're on a budget and you have some space, that you should use a horizontal. But to me, that doesn't answer the question about which is better, vertical or horizontal, or yeah, vertical or horizontal. So, and I know you've you've sort of uh, been sort of wandering around the horn trying to address the, the the question of which is better, but I don't think you've quite gotten there yet. Do you think either one is better, or do you think they both do adequately for what they are? you know, under the circumstances and the conditions of HF propagation, or do you actually have, do you have a freaking opinion, Richard? <laughs> yes. Do you have, do you have a choice one way or the other? 
I prefer uh, dipoles. I prefer horizontal antennas. Well, they're not exactly horizontal, but here here's the whole philosophy behind that. I started out, when I first got into amateur radio, I worked a job where I made minimum wage. I made minimum wage. I was feeding three kids and old fat gal that wasn't worth crap and wouldn't get a kid, keep a job. So my amateur radio was on a budget. The majority of the antennas I have used, I have built myself out of wire. And even before I was an amateur radio operator, I was building wire antennas. I built my first Delta Loop a full three years before I got my initial amateur radio license. So I prefer wire. It's cheap. It's easy to work with. If you can, if you can use a ruler or tape measure, you can build a wire antenna without a whole lot of problem. And since you can buy uh, pre-built balance and matching networks to go on them, there's uh, an imp- a huge variety of wire antennas. Now, having said that, I have also used verticals. I only used one vertical antenna I was ever happy with. I have an AR-10 Ringo Ranger in the garage right now, which is a 10-meter uh, Ringo Ranger. And... It was a problem until I got it high enough in the air, and then it became a really good 10-meter antenna. Sure, the commercial-built antennas are going to perform a little better, but when you're looking at antennas, well, it's kind of like this. We were talking about cars a little bit before we got started tonight, and if you're going to move a house full of furniture, you don't want to do it in a Mustang. You want Ford F-350 or whatever the equivalent Chevrolet is, you want this big, huge pickup truck that you can put all this furniture in. But if you're going to pull up at the club and try and impress people, you want a Dodge Viper or something to that effect. The reasoning here is that different antennas excel at different jobs. They are better for different jobs. Uh, Some people say that wire antennas are better for short-haul contacts inside the continental United States, into Canada, into Mexico, even South America, because we're talking about a different way that the waves come off of that antenna. Now, in the case of vertical antennas, when you can use them, and yes, the uh, the point is, if you've got limited space, verticals are better until you get to a certain point, and then they become too big and unwieldy to use. But most of your passionate DXers use vertical antennas or try to because it gives them that advantage of a lower takeoff angle to the main lobe of the radiation off that antenna, which for anybody who's ever played pool, bowled, done anything where smaller and larger larger angles of contact of one item to another, you know, you get that angle spread out, you get a lower takeoff, you get a more a, a, a wider angle when it comes off of the ionosphere, it goes farther out. The, cha- the skip zone changes, for those of y'all who are familiar with skip zone. But then again, that's not going to do you a whole lot of good if you've got a lot of uh, uh, sporadic E going on. And you're really high up in frequency because that's going to block it and knock it right back at you. So it's kind of like this. You wouldn't drive a screw with a 22 millimeter wrench. You wouldn't hammer a nail with your firstborn child. But these things have jobs you can do with them. 22 millimeter wrench, you can take the drain plug out of a Ford pickup truck. And the child, well, I haven't really found a use for any of mine. 
but I'm sure there is one. So is that any closer to what you're looking for? Well, I don't know that I was looking for anything in particular, although let me say one thing in the case of a horizontal antenna as opposed to uh-huh. a vertical antenna. One one thing about vertical antennas is you do have a lower angle of radiation, uh, particularly if you have a very good ground plane. A lot of people who put up vertical antennas, you know, sort of go with that paradigm. They ignore the ground plane. They think, and a lot of these vertical antennas will actually claim, oh, you don't need a ground plane. But honestly, if you want an effective radiating antenna, you need a ground plane. And basically, this can just be a simple, as simple as running a bunch of uh, wires out on the ground or slightly underground uh, connected to the ground side of your antenna. Uh, creating that ground plane gives you much better radiation. That being said, in the realm of horizontal antennas, horizontal antennas have directionality. Vertical antennas are omnidirectional, at least as far as uh, radiating across the globe is concerned, because they're vertically oriented, and so the path of the rate, the emission is basically in every direction out from the antenna. Now, horizontal antennas don't do that. They radiate along um, the, the wires that create the antenna. So the reason I bring this up is if you happen to be, say, in the center of the United States, say Kansas, for instance, you want to have more effective radiation uh, to the east and west, then you would run your wires east and west because the effective radiation coming off of that antenna will be along, you know, the path of the wires. If you orient your antennas so the wires go north and south, then your signal will be stronger to the north and south, and you will effectively put California and Maine to the sides of your horizontally oriented antenna. So if this is a, if having a horizontal antenna is sort of a new concept for you, uh, just, just make sure that, you know, what the direction that you think is more interesting to you is the one in which you align the direction of your antenna. I, I believe I have said this uh, correctly in, in, uh, in alignment with proper radio propagation theory. And if I haven't, Richard will speak up now and tell me how stupid I am. Well, no, 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 no. I would never do that. But you do realize that you're pushing AC through the wire of the antenna, correct? Well, right. I mean, I th- well, maybe people don't understand that you're actually running power. Yeah, I'm getting there, Ted. <laughs> okay, okay, well, go go ahead. I mean, since you're all having a private conversation that I'm not a part of, go ahead and explain what you're talking about. In the case of a, a wire, when you pass electricity through a wire or any other kind of component, you get a uh, electromagnetic field or you get a magnetic field at a right angle to an electrical to the electrical field. So if you're running the energy down the wire, you're getting a, a magnetic field to the side of the wire or perpendicular to the wire. So in the case of horizontal antenna and and this it's not Nick I don't want it to sound like nitpicking. Don't get mad at me, Russ. Um you're your broadside to your antenna. So if you point the elements north and south, your radiation pattern is to the east and west, but not always, because there's always different ways to do this stuff. And if you 
with a, say, a dipole, just a regular old dipole, everyday run-of-the-mill dipole. It radiates best, or we're told it radiates best, at a quarter of a wave off the ground, quarter wavelength. And if you move it down, and in some cases you'll get it, the, this NBIS effect by moving the antenna closer to the ground, normally about an eighth wave. But also as you bring the antenna down and it's in contact with the ground, the ground starts to interfere with the radiation pattern. And in some cases, lowering that antenna down can give you an omnidirectional pattern. Now, as far as receiving, it's been so long since I read up on that part of it, I'm not sure. Okay, but well, as far as radiation I'm, pattern, it would give you more of an omnidirectional pattern. Now, in the, uh, go ahead, and then I got some S. Okay, well, I, I think um, I wasn't terribly clear about what I said, and I, I let me um, see if I remember my theory correctly. But basically, if your antenna is oriented east and west, yes, I understand that the radiation is north and south. In other words, you create a ring that expands north and south. However, they travel east and west along the path of the antenna, meaning that someone who is east of you who has an antenna that is also oriented east and west um the best the best reception you're going to get is when the polarizations match i.e the the radio wave that comes off of your antenna perpendicularly intersects a um an antenna that is also receiving it so an antenna that is that is oriented in the same way as your antenna will receive better than one that is oriented at some other angle. Am but, I correct? But see, that's when we get into the the funny things that waves do when they enter the ionosphere, because the when it changes the polarization changes orientation because of bouncing around in the ionosphere. It may go in as horizontal. It may come out vertical, horizontal, sideways, backways. Uh, it could come out circular. And it, whenever you bounce a signal off of something, you distort that, that, that wave. I can't think of a good analogy on this, but it, it, that's the whole point. So if it bounces off the ionosphere, now, if we're talking about ground wave propagation and we don't talk a lot about ground wave propagation nowadays in HF, which is extremely usable, <laughs> very, very, very usable. And the further down you go in frequency, the smaller your skip zone becomes. And when you get down 75, some places on 75 and even as far as down, down as 160, you have no noticeables of skip zone. You go directly from ground wave to sky wave, or at least it appears that way if you go down far enough. Yes, if you've got two antennas that are talking to each other, Okay, so you're 40 miles away from, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. If you're on 40 meters and you're 40 miles away from somebody and they're using a vertical antenna and you're using a horizontal antenna, you may not hear them at all. Or you may hear them very, very quietly. But if you pitch one of those antennas over to the other orientation, They'll come up where you can at least hear what they're saying, read the signal, even though it may not register on your signal strength meter. And the only reason I use this as an example is the former section traffic manager for North Texas 
lives about 40 miles away from me. And when she and I would be working one of the 40-meter traffic nets, most of the time I couldn't hear her because she had a vertical antenna that somebody had put up for her, and I was running horizontal. But as far as at long distances, if you, you've got at least one hop in there, then polarization of the of the wave really doesn't make it's not it's not going to be logical it's not like he's he's vertical i'm vertical so we ought to have better reception or he's vertical and i'm horizontal so we know it's going to get horizontal when it comes through and that works better sometimes it do sometimes it don't i think i jumbled up what i said over the course of my discussion in the sense that when i first started talking about the fact of when you when you skip a signal off the atmosphere at least once, then polarization goes out the window because you can't really predict what the polarization is going to be at the receiving station. You may be close to the same polarization that it came off the originating antenna. You may be completely different. Therefore, the orientation of your antenna is simply a matter of luck. Now, when I discussed whether your your horizontal is pointed east and west, that I was talking about basically point-to-point communication, having no skip in, in there at all. In other words, if you're talking about like VHF propagation or, you know, when you have uh, a two-meter radio in your car and you're talking to a two-meter radio in somebody else's car that's close by or via repeater, all of those antennas are oriented vertically because... There's no change in polarity in those signals because there's no there's no effective bounce off the atmosphere. You're talking about going from where you are to the repeater to the other station or basically simplex to the other station. Therefore, your best reception is going to be if your antennas are similarly polarized. If you're vertical and the other person is horizontal and you're five miles apart, the chances of you hearing each other is very small. If you both happen to be vertical your chances of hearing each other are much better. Uh, but once you get into bouncing signals off the atmosphere or the moon or any other propagation where the polarity of the signal can change at random, then it doesn't really matter that much. Right. I mean, that's what I was talking about a while ago. Um, the difference between a horizontal antenna and a ver- vertical antenna, if you're trying to talk to each other off of one that's pointed one way and one that's pointed the other, I believe it's 20 dB. I'm sure Ted will straighten me out if I'm wrong. Um, But 20 dB attenuation between horizontal and vertical. Okay. And five miles away, well, definitely you wouldn't hear each other. I'm pretty sure unless you were running a huge amount of power. Um, Because it's just that much. And this is one of the things we exploit when we're doing transmitter hunting. But what I was going back to on the, on the, uh, on the uh, wire antennas is a dipole, inverted V, whatever that's horizontally polarized. If you're putting, as far as the wire's concerned, uh, you're going to be broadside to the antenna because we utilize, even though the AC goes into the antenna, we utilize the magnetic component of that electromagnetic field. And the elect, the magnetic component comes off at a right angle to the conductor. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. I, I I do believe that what I am saying is correct in my head, but only <laughs> only in the sense of 
true ground wave propagation, one where the po- where the orientation of the signal doesn't change between the transmitting and the receiving endpoints. Um, okay, I think I think we're probably talking about two different things. Yeah, we probably are. And one, you know, once you once you have the atmosphere relaying signals in the middle of the mix, then all bets are off as far as uh, as far as polarization of your antenna. But we're getting way far afield here. So, do you have a thought about whether horizontal is better than vertical, or do you think it doesn't really matter? Well, it's like I was saying earlier: horizontal antennas, vertical antennas, dipole versus a uh, uh, an infed zap, collinear vertical as opposed to a five eighths wave vertical. They've all got; they all do different jobs. They're always they're all good at different jobs. But as far as all-in-one antenna, something you're going to use every day to sit around and rag chew, my money, because I'm cheap, is on wire antennas because, like I said, they're cheap to build. I've built way more than my fair share of wire antennas for a five or seven, $5 bill or $7. I mean, even the loop antennas can be horizontally polarized, and they're still are vertically polarized and still quieter than a vertic- vertically polarized, I don't know, quarter wave antenna gap or something like that. That's the benefits of some of this stuff. I mean, you take a, a horizontally polarized antenna, it picks up a lot less man-made noise. A loop antenna picks up even less. The advantage of loop antennas, it can be kicked over where it's uh, vertically polarized and still be a loop antenna. Uh, we see them in commercial, the uh, folded dipoles on these commercial uh, VHF, UHF antennas that a lot of guys use on their repeaters. They're folded dipoles, but they're closed loops, so they're quieter. So, you know, for my money, wire's better unless you've got the money to do it right and put a good tower structure up that can support what you need and then go out and get the aluminum and put it in the air and do it the right way. Yeah, I mean, or if vertical. you're... If you're looking at a good, you know, like tunable multiband commercial vertical antenna, you're talking 400 and up, uh, easy. That's yep. without, that's without mounts, towers or anything. And if you just want to put a 80 to 10 multiband vertical that runs two to one and easily covers every band, including work with a tuner, uh, hundred bucks or less. So, right. I, I mean, clearly. There's there's a cost differential there that that might sway a person one way or the other. Well, I mean Barker and Williams makes a uh, makes an all band folded dipole that's in the three three fifty to four hundred dollar range. I think it, that's what it was last time I looked at it three fifty to four hundred dollars. And um, I mean this is a commercially made folded dipole which uh, will work. I think it works one sixty to ten. It may just be seventy five or eighty to ten. You know, you can get expensive that way too. But for your average amateur radio operator, you'll spend fifteen, twenty, twenty-five dollars on a ballon. And I'm not a strong advocate of balance, but I have seen a little bit of a difference using them as opposed to not using them. If you don't use them, you can build an antenna for five, six, seven bucks. If you go ahead and use them, you add another another uh, 25 30 bucks to the bill but still you're under the price of even a commercially made dipole because i haven't checked those lately but 
uh, them guys want a lot of money for the little bit of materials and work there is involved in putting those things together. All right. So I think we've had a 35 minute discussion that came out with uh, no answer whatsoever. What do you think? Well, no, the answer is all antennas have different purposes. You know, it's like I said earlier, if you're going to move a bunch of furniture out of your apartment to a new house, you're not going to try and drag it uh, down the street in a geo, you know, <laughs> or a Kia. You're going to want somebody, you will want your buddy has got the big Ford or Chevy pickup to come over and y'all load the crap in there. It's the same way with antennas. The best general purpose all around antennas I've seen, well, you know, I stayed away from G5 RV for a long time. And then when uh, Brenda uh, started getting upset uh, because it looked like Marconi's station uh, around our place because I had a separate dipole for every band I worked hanging off of that house, I went ahead and went with a uh, went with a G5 RV. Yes, there, there was the performance wasn't as good, but to be everything, be able to work everything, all the bands off of one antenna. Uh, it was worth it in that situation. You know, if you got the money, like I said, put the aluminum in there, man. You, you know, more money's better. If you're going to spend a dollar on your radio, spend two dollars on your antenna system. That's what I was told when I first got licensed. Oh, I feel bad now. We, I looked in the chat room and KD8SZG, who's joined us tonight. And I want to thank, uh, I'm going to assume it's a him for, for joining us tonight. He says, as someone looking to get into HF, I'm all messed up now. Well, maybe let's take a quick break. We've got a few more things we want to talk about. Um, we can, we can maybe address any specific questions he has after the break about antennas one way or the other. So let's, let's continue this after the break and then we'll, uh, we'll finish up with that. What do you think? Yeah. The other thing can be pushed off till next week. It's just something that's been on my mind. Well, whatever we get to, we'll get to. I mean, Oh, well, I'm just saying that I'm not griping. I'm saying it, it's best we can push. How do I tell you it's okay to push something off without you thinking I'm mad? <laughs> I don't think you're mad. Okay. All right. Play the music. All right. We're going to play the music. This one here is a song called Metal Heart, and it's by a group called Zamza, Z-A-M-Z-A. This is a pretty good one, so I'm going to fire it up here, and when this one's over, we're going to address KD8SCG's problem with HF antennas that we've uh, totally blown his mind about this discussion and uh, maybe fit in some feedback and another discussion about my uh, little Yezu mobile rig that I really want to vent about. So we'll see you in a couple of seconds on the other side.
And we are back to a thoroughly mind-blowing session of Linux in the ham shack. We've lost all the Linux guys by now, and we are persevering and moving on because we have just exploded all the synapses on some of the folks listening in the chat room, and now we're going to talk some more about antennas. So uh, we'll have to try again next week with some Linuxy kind of stuff. But that may not happen either. We'll have to see what happens. So we're back. We are back. We are, have maximum backness. And Baby say something got us because I'm, I'm gone idiot. Well, I'll tell you what. Before we get back into the whole horizontal, dipole, vertical, multi-trap, super aluminum, wire, ladder line discussion that we've been having, let me go ahead and talk about my Yezu FT7900R. Have you seen this radio? Uh, no, I hadn't really looked at it. I've been looking at other stuff because I'm fixing to start flailing on some people about 70 centimeters. <laughs> okay. Well, the 7900R is a dual bander, 2 meter, 70, 70 centimeter, and it's a nice little radio. I mean, I have no issue whatsoever with the 7900R as a you know a good mobile rig that does what it does. I believe it's uh, 50 or 60 watts, uh, two meters, probably 35 or either or 50 watts on 70 centimeters. It's got the typical Yezu orange glow when you plug it in and all that kind of thing. Well, here's my problem with it. I put in the Etherpad my Yezu FT7900R in the engineering fallacy, and you added a question mark. Now, did you add the question mark just because you were being cute, or do you actually not understand what my problem is with this radio? I have no idea what the engineering fallacy is, and I couldn't find it on the Internet. Okay, well, here's the inter- here's the engineering fallacy, and this is the same thing that I have, the same problem that I have with cars, especially modern cars. Here's the thing. you take You take your average car, a newer car, well, okay, let, let's start a different way. You take your average older car. Let's say you have a 1972 Chrysler New Yorker or something like that. If you were to walk up to this car, throw open the hood, you could probably figure out what every little piece under that bonnet. Oh boy, I've been watching too much, uh, British TV. You could probably top gear. Yeah, it's too much top gear. You could probably figure out everything that, you know, that's under that hood and what it does. And if you needed to fix it, you could probably go to your local parts store, buy the part and put it on yourself. Am I correct in this so far? Okay. Okay. If you take your average 2012 vehicle, you pop the hood open. Now, once you get through 37 different plastic shrouds and uh, serpentine belts and wires that go to 7,000 different places and all that stuff, you take one look at the engine and have no idea what exactly you're looking at. Okay, well, this is what I call the engineering fallacy. You're looking at a piece of, you know, what is probably a very high-tech piece of equipment that is, from an engineering standpoint, well-engineered. In other words, everything is efficient, everything is tightly packed, 
But if you actually pop the hood open on one of these things and you're a mechanic trying to fix it, you are in no man's land because it's going to take you 37 hours to get down to the one part that you have to fix in order to get this thing to work properly, even though it's a masterpiece of engineering. So that's the engineering fallacy. So you broke it. (laughs) No. So here's the thing. So I think the 7900R is probably a very well-engineered piece of radio hardware. Here's where the mechanic part of it comes into it. I'm trying to mount this thing into my into my truck, and it comes with the YSX7800 remote head unit add-on kit so that you can take the the head unit off the main part of the radio mount it like to your dashboard and then put the main part of the radio somewhere else hidden so that all you have to look at is just that one little piece so you can stick it onto your dashboard with velcro and not have to deal with the main body of the radio and the engineering side of this says this is the best way you can do that or this is this is the best way to handle that because then you can mount this you know the head unit anywhere and don't have to worry about where you put the radio itself and the antenna connector and all that kind of thing. So it makes it very easy for the end user to mount this thing. Well, the problem is the microphone connector for the radio is actually on the head unit piece so that when you disassemble or you disassociate the head unit from the radio and mount this thing on your dashboard, you're still able to plug your microphone right into the head unit and you can keep the radio hidden. Okay, perfect. However, the speaker is mounted to the main body of the radio. So if you uh-huh. decide to put the main body of the radio under a seat or un, you know stow it away in a console or under the dashboard or something like that, you can't hear the damn radio because the speaker is not attached to the head unit. It's actually in the main radio. This is retarded. Okay, this should have been designed so that all of the necessary pieces of the radio, the parts that you have to have exposed to the user, i.e. the microphone, the the LCD display, and the audio are attached to the unit that you actually mount to the dashboard. And then the rest of it can be stuck under a seat or under the dashboard or hidden away or whatever. They didn't decide to do that, and I think this is absolutely stupid. And I would just like to use this opportunity to send this message to Yezu, smarten up. Okay, that, that's all I had to say about that. Uh-huh. Well, as an audio guy, what, ha- what happens when you make a speaker smaller? Okay, now I knew this was going to come up, but the thing of it is, Apple, and I hate to bring up Apple in the context of this conversation, but Apple has done an exemplary job of creating loud, powerful, dynamic speakers that create that re- uh, recreate full audio range sound. We're talking 20 hertz up to 18 kilohertz, full audio sound from very small speakers that could easily have been integrated into the head unit of this radio that would be loud enough to be heard that would not sound tinny and that could easily have been put in there and associated just with the head unit. So I don't buy the argument that I think you're coming up with 
that having that you have to mount the speaker into the body of the radio just because you have to have a bigger full-bodied speaker in order to accurately reproduce the sound i don't think that's valid well yeah got crappy speakers in the first place that's why i stuck with kenwood for so long Yezu and icom have the worst speakers on their rigs they are horrible and when you've got hearing loss the the direction i've got it it's extra bad because they don't have a lot of low frequencies now um I'm looking at this radio right now on the Yezu website, and even if they did have a small speaker to put somewhere, I do not see where they would put it, because there's not a lot of room on the front of this thing. No, that's actually put, true, but the the expansion kit that, that comes free when you buy this radio, the YSX7800, uh-huh. whatever the hell they call it, uh-huh. um, actually creates a gap between whatever you mount the head unit to and uh-huh. the back of the head unit. So you could actually mount the speaker on the back of the head unit and have it directed against the, um, you know, your dashboard or whatever with about a half an inch of space. And I believe that would be more than adequate to produce accurate sound. And where is the audio plug on this thing in the back? Yes. Why don't you just plug a cable into it? But I don't want to have to go out and buy an additional speaker. Why should I have to pay for a separate speaker to mount somewhere else? Come in- get one of these speakers I got. I, that's not the I point. Got speakers. I've been for 20 years now. Every time I throw away a stereo, I keep the speakers. I want the sound to come out of the head unit of my radio. If I'm going to spend hundreds of dollars on a piece of equipment, I want the audio and the head unit and the microphone connector to be, you know, to be attached to the same piece of hardware. And that's what I want. I don't want to have to run a 20 foot long piece of, you know, uh, eighth inch audio cable to another speaker that I have to buy from someplace just to hear my freaking radio. I'm you're, sorry, you're, Yezu, you've what? done this completely wrong. This is totally BS. Your radio in your car doesn't have an auxiliary plug? That's not the damn point. (laughs) Holy crap. Well, (laughs) let me tell you something. Over uh, over the uh, nearly 25 years, I don't know, I've kind of lost count. I think it's 24. Over the 24 years that I have been licensed, I have desperately fought against radios with removable heads. There's no reason for it. If you're going to have a damn radio, hang it under the dash. I have stayed away from them. I wouldn't have one now if it wasn't for the fact that the one ICOM radio that I felt that I had a weak moment and felt that I absolutely had to have has a detachable head. However, I don't use the remote kit. If I decided to do so, the uh, cigarette lighter plug is located right next to where I mount my radios in the truck and I have a device that I use for my audio players, which creates a FM signal to transfer from the device in the cigarette plug to the radio. Now, nobody puts speakers in the head. Well, they should start putting speakers in the head. I have a, I have a vehicle that I cannot mount my radio underneath the dash. There's not enough room. There's nothing to mount it to. 
and my ability to separate the head from the main body of the radio was actually the reason I bought this radio, but the fact that the speaker is contained in the main body of the radio makes this completely, completely useless to me. So Maybe we should start a letter writing campaign. That's right. We should. So we'll, we'll, we'll do it this way. We'll do it. Yeah, you need to contact them and bitch their ass out about this. Badger. Why did you sell me a damn radio with a removable head? Doesn't it, doesn't it make sense? Okay. Just, just on a philosophical level, if you, uh, ha- okay, I'm, you may not want a radio that has a removable head. Okay. You want a radio that's a radio and all of the pieces are built into it. And that's the end of the story. Okay. Fine. I get that. But if you're going to build a radio that has a removable head, shouldn't the removable head part of the radio have everything in it that you need to operate the radio? That's the thing that bugs me about this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out some way to get this damn thing to work. Cause I spent like 300 and some friggin' amount of money on it and I'm going to make this radio work, but it still pisses me off and Yezu and whoever else has decided to do this kind of thing where they separate the head and keep the speaker in the main body of the radio you're all idiots, and you need to redesign. But where are they going to put the readout? Put the speaker in the back. In the back of the radio? It's already there. In the back of the head. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, uh, I think what we need to do, everybody within the sound of our voice, and we know there's quite a few of you, and there might even be some in Japan, because I know there's some in China. Hell, yeah, you may be in China now. Um, or something. They make really good electronics over. Um, <laughs> everybody within the sound of my voice, write a nasty letter to Yezu. Ask them why the hell the head ain't got a speaker in it. Ain't got no speaker. It's probably because it got all them damn buttons on the front. And here's another but, thing. Here's here's another damn thing that I just thought uh, of while you were making that that point. Just another damn thing. That's just another damn thing. If you can't bother to put a speaker in the back of the head, then don't bother with putting a speaker in the back of the head. Put a speaker in the damn microphone. That technology has been around forever and ever. You could buy one of those damn things for 29 bucks to go into your HTX 202 20 freaking years ago if you wanted to hear the audio coming out of your microphone. And that'd be just as damn good. It, you know, speaker mics really suck. I, I don't care. As long as that speaker's not in the body of the radio, I don't care where the audio comes from. Everybody write a letter about speaker mics, speakers in the head. I can, I can understand. I can feel it. I can feel what you're saying. <laughs> I, can, I can understand this. Well, I'm glad you can understand. Because all my friends are nuts. Why should you be any different? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to dress? I, I, I know guys that mount APRS radios in their trunk. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. However, the upside of this whole ordeal is the fact that at Universal Radio they have a Yezu external speaker for forty five ninety five. Yeah, which is supposed to <laughs> don't start on the Yezu. I already website. paid for the goddamn radio. I don't want to have to pay for another speaker. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bought a Yezu HF rig, a little off topic. I bought a Yezu HF rig and bought the matching antenna tuner to go with it. And it won't tune anything that's more than three to one. Okay. If you, if you, if you're three to one, you don't need no damn tuner. 
but it wouldn't tune anything. So I've still got it somewhere around here in the box, and I had to go buy another tuner for a couple hundred bucks to put on there that will tune everything. I can hook it up to my dog, and it will tune the dog. So there you go. Universal Radio, $45.95. Failing that, everybody write a tacky letter to every company that you ever did business with that doesn't put speakers in the removable head for their radios and tell them that Russ said, bite me, bite me. We haven't done bite me in a while. That's right. We haven't done bite me in a while. All right. How much time do we have left? Oh, I think about negative 30 minutes. So do you want to address, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. you want to address KDA.CG's confusion about, uh, about antennas or you just want to wrap it up? Well, he's talking about stuff in here and I, I can see a situation. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. KD8SZG. Pay attention. Are you paying attention? Okay. In the chat room, he says he's got like a, a place where he can put an antenna up about 40 feet off the ground and by the uh, uh, attachment points would be about 200 feet apart and that kind of stuff. Now, I saw a congratula- congratulations someplace, which leads me to believe that he is recently hamified. Or maybe they just congratulating him on his huge amount of space because I would like uh, a situation like that. I've never had that much room. Of course, I did have a 50-foot pole up over the top of my house in Grand Prairie. Used my feed line as part of the conductor. Yeah, you can do the stuff they tell you not to do, and it works sometimes. KD8SZG, are you new ham or an old ham? New a month. Okay. Now we're going to go into resonant frequency mode. Are you ready? Being a new ham radio operator, it's always best to start small and work your way up. I say this because some of these people will go out gung-ho when they first get started. They'll spend huge amounts of money on equipment that uh, really doesn't perform for them the way they want it to or need it to. So what I would suggest is that you start with a middle of the road or low end wire antenna. If you're not going to build it yourself, then my, and they are incredibly simple to build. So you probably need to look into that. I saw somebody mention the, uh, what was it? Wire antenna classics book, just about anything written by W one FB, uh, is good. I started off with one of his books, uh, back years ago when I was building wire antennas on, on, uh, different bands that we don't talk about, um, and work your way up. This gives you the ability to, uh, build what you want, test it. Uh, if it doesn't work, you're not out that much. When you go to uh, reuse wire off the 75 meter antenna that didn't work right, you can make a 40 meter antenna out of it or 20 meter antenna out of it and all this stuff. It doesn't hurt to learn how to build these types of antennas. The other side of it is, if you're just into it for talking to your buddies on the repeater, uh, commercially made, I don't know, Comet antenna or uh, a Cushcraft, something like that, a uh, Ringo Ranger. I don't even know if they make the uh, Ringo Rangers anymore. Uh, Ringo Ranger or a GP, GP3 or GP6 or GP, GP9, one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of those. If you're going to look towards uh, DXing and stuff like that, you may want to go ahead and move towards beam. But, you know, I've gradually learned my amateur radio. 
mostly because I didn't have a lot of money to throw down to, into it. To this very day, I've had multiband vertical antennas and never really had a whole lot of luck with them. But I can throw together even <laughs> out on a deployment with Aries and Races because I've done it during drills, put together a usable antenna in less than an hour and get it get it up and going. Uh, well, see, that's a start right there. Uh, building building J-poles, that's a good start. So you go down to the Lowe's or the Home Depot, if you decide to go this route, go down to the Lowe's or the Home Depot, buy a spool of wire, uh, 14, 18 gauge, uh, depending on how much power you're going to put through it. You know, you don't want too small if you're going to go ahead and load yourself up with an amplifier. Get online, find you some good silver uh, chassis mount connectors. Uh, if you're going to use balance, there's several good places to get those. Uh, don't do commercials for people that don't give me money, but I do feel that it's okay for me to say that uh, I buy parts from Universal Radio. I buy most of my stuff from Universal Radio, mainly because Texas Tower is a bunch of jerks, and I know these guys personally. And I'll probably get a letter for that. I got eat out over a comment about the Dallas Amateur Radio Club. Get you some connectors, get you some cable, get you some wire. If you've got trees 200 feet apart and you can get that antenna 40 feet in there, oh yeah, you probably want to, uh, probably want to reinforce that, uh, feed point, uh, because once you get the weight of that coax pulling down on it, you really need to do something. Well, there you go. And they ship, they ship really good. Uh, does that answer most of your questions since we're talking to you without anybody else hearing what you're saying? Yes, fence wire. Fence wire is good. Corrodes kind of quick, but it's good. Does that clear up? In, uh, he says, yeah, it sounds good to me. Does that clear up a little bit of your confusion? Uh, when you showed up, you we were probably getting into stuff that was kind of deep. Well, fence wire is easy. It'll take solder real good. I mean, it's good, it's strong, but you're still talking about where where the feed point is and where the antenna is the weakest, so you probably need to still reinforce it. While you're down there at the tractor supply or uh, feed store or wherever you get the, uh, get the fence wire, make sure you get yourself some insulators. Electric fence insulators, for the most part, will work as good as uh, some of the high-dollar bone and, uh, and poly insulators. Uh, what you do, and they're pretty cheap, so you can do this, is you get some, take them home, put two or three on a plate and stick them in the microwave and turn the microwave on for a few minutes. Turn When the microwave is finished, you take them out and pick them up. Now, if they don't scorch the flesh on your hand, then they will be proper insulators for your antenna. If they are hot, they burn your hand when they come out of the microwave, then you need to try a different type. Because uh, RF's a little bit different than regular electricity, but not much. In fact, I got several bags over here. I picked up a tractor supply real cheap, and they work really well. And I would think that that would be crap. But when I did finally buy a G5RV that someone else had built, it had the same insulators on the end of it. Ooh, barbed wire. Barbed wire would be good. Probably make the lobes kind of strange. I don't know about that. Has anybody modeled an antenna dipole with uh, barbed wire? Four point or five point? We only use two down here. Oh, uh, we don't use two up here. We use four. Our cows are not vicious. <laughs> our cows are not our own. 
course, we have some crazy ass goats around here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. Okay, so uh, does that help out? How do you like Richard's little pointer about the about the electric fence insulators? How do you like that? That was it, truly epic. It was Hamish. That's right. That, did it ever dawn on you, even checking them to see if they scorch your hands? Well, no, I don't throw a lot of badger like that in the microwave. Microwave's a transmitter. Yeah, I realize that. And if they don't conduct the microwaves, they don't conduct the other. Unless, of course, they get wet. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We don't have time for anything else. we got to move on. Well, that's why I was saying we can just push it back to the next one. You know, it's it's been on my mind and everything. In fact, I got my, y'all, I'm going to give it another shot. I got my extra class question pool is sitting here on my desk. I'm about four pages from finishing up having it, uh, having it doctored up so I can start studying. And we're going to go ahead and get that out of the way because Richard fields the need to generate some ham radio operators out here where I'm living. And the only way, the best way to do that is to give some tests. So we're going to be working on that and I keep y'all updated on it. We really need to throw them black sparrow guys off the website. Um, <laughs> Quit hitting the damn refresh. Oh, no. They're leaving us. They're leaving us. Well, that's okay because we're leaving them. This damned old notification thing gets on my last nerve. Every time they post something, I can't read the bottom of the X chat. Old crappy thing. Well, I'll tell you what. I guess uh, I want to thank everybody for showing up in the chat room tonight, showing up on the live stream. I haven't even checked to see if anybody's actually listening. But since Richard and I don't know how to shut the hell up, I think it's about time that we get out of here. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think we do that. Y'all, uh, for those of y'all listening on the feed, if you'll go over to the chat room, they are continuing to talk about antennas over there. Um, you know, all uh, all hams that have been around a while want to help the new guys when they show up and in fact they'll tell them 800 different ways to do stuff and some of them will even be right so y'all go on over there and if you're not sure where it is go on over to uh, freenode.net and look for the lhs podcast chat room and join in the discussion so with that we're gonna have to go ahead and shut her down for this evening i think we beat antennas just as much as we can beat antennas and it's probably more information than y'all ever wanted to know about antennas and y'all send us some feedback and let us know uh if richard's out of his mind or not because i think i've had i, I don't know if i've had my own stroke or borrowed one but sometimes I worry about it. Anyway, if you want to get a hold of me, send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or follow me on the social networks. Uh, still got a few of them going. Twitter, Facebook. Um, I booted Diaspora the other day. But Google Plus is still working. So uh, y'all uh, give me a shout. And with that, we'll toss it up to the Booby Mountains and, oh, no, the Misty Mountains. Wait a minute. We're, we're doing Tolkien tonight. To the Misty Mountains in Arkansas, where Russ will give you his information. All right, folks. This is Russ K5TUX. You can find me on all the social networks out there, including Google+, Twitter, Facebook, and all the rest, including Identica. I'm J.R. Woodman, also known as K5TUX at 73s.org. 
Go ahead and send us an email if you want to contact the show at info at lhspodcast.info. Go ahead and send us a voicemail at one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. That's one nine zero nine LHS show. We'll play your comment on the air unless you tell us not to, in which case we won't. Go to the website lhspodcast.info. Leave us a comment. We'll talk about it on the show. Sign up for the mailing list. Become a donor. Become a subscriber. Uh, click on all of the affiliate links and any advertising you see on the website because every little bit helps us out and we appreciate it very much. And I think that's about all there is for me up here in the pine forest between the peaks of. Oh, hell, hello. <laughs> between the pine forest. <laughs> in the pine forest between the peaks of north central Arkansas. This has been episode number 91 of Linux in the Hamshack. We'll catch you all in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to send it back down to the Trinity River Basin where Richard's going to sign off by giving us these little words of wisdom. Well, I'm just starting to think it, uh, that Russ is apparently lost somewhere in Mordor. Um, well, well, that's it for this time. Long but fun. And from a high top, the Tower of Orthanc, uh, in the vicinity of Mordor and Middle-earth, Um, I'm going to try and get these pokey bits out of my butt. We'll see y'all next time. Hey, somebody send in the eagles.